We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Computer, this is Data. I'm an android. I'm a... basketball? I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers speak basketball? Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. I am your host for the day, Tim. You know me as Cranjus McBasketball on Twitter. And today, I'm here to talk Darvin Ham versus Frank Vogel. Lakers fans have, uh, after every win, there's there's ham praise. After every loss, there's, ah, Frank Vogel wasn't the problem. Obviously, these are apple, not apples-to-apples situations, especially if you're just looking at the results. The rosters are different. The schedule the shooting luck are two elements that have impacted results early this season. But I still think we have clearly seen enough that we can compare these two. We have learned a lot more about Darvin Ham than we knew previously. And I, I think it's time for, a, you know, just an honest discussion about the two of them. Because there are certain elements that we've certainly seen a step up for the Lakers this year. There are other elements that have taken a step backwards. And I want to praise the good. I want to point out the bad. And hope you know. Hopefully, what hasn't been fantastic can get to that point and improve. But regardless, it I'd rather you know let folks 
uh, give give folks a little bit more insight as to what I'm seeing at least, so that uh, as you're looking at comparing these two, you can you can get a better sense for for what I'm thinking. So I'm going to organize this. We're going to do offense. We'll talk some defense. We'll look into rotations. Then we can talk, we can talk leadership. Maybe look at game planning, adjusting. A lot of these elements intertwine a bit, but I'll try to take a disciplined, objective approach. Uh, I am someone who, if you're not familiar, I've been logging every single half-court offensive play the Lakers have had this season. So I certainly have a good sense as to what they're doing offensively. Last year, there were a number of games. I didn't do every game, but there were a number of games where I was evaluating what they were doing on offense and tracking how many actions they were running per play. Big issue last year was just like, you know, do stuff, run things. <laughs> um, and that hasn't been as much of an issue this year. I'll talk about that in a moment. But I, I've done a lot of, you know, I'm watching all of these games. I'm re-watching all of these games. And sometimes I'm watching a third time. Sometimes I'm watching a fourth time. Usually not more than two or three full times through the game. Then I'll maybe re-watch player minutes if I'm saying, all right, well, uh, it looked like Lonnie had a great game. What was he doing? I'm going to go rewatch that. How did he get to his spots? What's going on here? Or Russ looked good this game. Or this guy looked bad this game. Let's let's take a look at that. What did this guy do on defense? Uh, how were his minutes off ball defensively? Things like that. So, But I, I'm watching the games live. I'm rewatching all of that. I've got some data. I'm not really using data today for this conversation. But that is certainly another element. You, you want to get all the info you can when evaluating players and coaches and all of that stuff. There still isn't much data when it comes to evaluating coaching. So in lieu of that, I'm going to stick to my guns, stick to the X's and O's, stick to what we're seeing rotationally and all of those different things. And, you know, I, I, this is never going to be perfect. There's a lot about coaching that happens behind the scenes. We see what happens during the game on film and what's not on the television. We don't really get as much insight into. We'll, we'll hear coaches talk after the games or before the games to reporters and you're going to learn something from that but there's there's also plenty that you just aren't going to be able to evaluate another element of this is coaching staffs uh it's hard to separate what a head coach brings from his assistants that's what made it so difficult to pin down what is darvin ham good at bad at all of that stuff because he had been an assistant for his career at the nba level whereas with other guys with retreads you know what to expect with them because they've been a head coach so as we've learned more about Darvin Ham or at least his staff, it's especially early in the season, it's going to be hard to separate these things. I can certainly guess that Chris Gent is doing more offensively and bringing some of the concepts he's used in the past to this team. But truth, truthfully, it's, it's really hard to know from afar. So keep that in mind. But I guess we'll look at this as like the current staff compared to what we have been accustomed to as Lakers fans. So in offense, I have a couple categories. Set usage, or just the, the idea of like running things. Get volumes of actions run. If you just dribble the ball up the court, everyone's standing still, and you, you just isolate, and nobody's moving, nobody's cutting, no one's screening, there's nothing going on off ball to occupy help defenders, It's you're attacking the defense at its strongest. It doesn't have to worry about anything else. Uh, you, know, you know, when you try to multitask, you might drop a ball here or there. That's what you want to make a defense do. Make them multitask. Make them have to defend a staggered screen on the weak side while there's a two-man game between LeBron and AD on the strong side. That's more challenging to do than when the three off-ball defenders 
can stare at LeBron and AD and know that their guy's going to be exactly where they left them. Um, we've seen an improvement this year when it comes to running sets, just the volume of running sets, and then the actions involved within sets has certainly gone up as well. So point for Darvin Ham when it comes to set play usage. I have not tracked what every other team is doing when it comes to running sets or not, but the Lakers over their recent stretch have been organized about half the time and then the other half the time they're running freelance still with some structure but uh more like let's go play basketball uh let's go play some pickup basketball kind of stuff compared to let's run a set let's run a help beater things like that so i've liked the usage it's gone up and we've seen better results the complexity the the caliber of what has been run i think has also gone up there were times last year where the lakers ran a high number of sets there were times last year where they ran good sets what we see day in and day out with this team is better from a caliber of set play standpoint. They're running stuff that works and it works well. And it's stuff that like, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm happy to take this. I'm happy to add this to my fast draw and use this in playbooks that for teams I coach or consult with. So there's, I think that speaks to, they're doing good things. I have been impressed and it's been such a breath of fresh air we see so many more plays where guys are set up to succeed and it's very much not covered or noticed by a good portion of the fan base. And that's okay. X's and O's aren't, aren't everyone's cup of tea, but I'm seeing just how much it's elevating the playmaking, elevating the scoring, all of these different pieces of the game. They're doing better with the set plays run. So I, another point to Darvin Ham, Vogel stuff last year, it wasn't frequent. And when it was run, it was a lot of basic stuff. When it comes to the freelance structure, and this is something the Lakers have gotten better at over time this year. Last year when they were playing just pickup basketball, basically, it was fairly disorganized. This year, there's more organization around it. And when I say that, I mean, you're going to see a lot of freelance possessions start with a step up ball screen along the sideline, immediately get a switch and then go to work. They weren't doing that as much last year. This year, you know, four seconds into the shot clock, we've got a mismatch and, and then we're going to go attack you. Things like that make me feel better about the team. Uh, when and, and I'll include their help beaters into the, the freelance structure. When they uh, put the ball into the post or they're isolating, defenses, you know, because you're defending LeBron James and Anthony D. Davis and, and Russell Westbrook, they're going to try to help. They're not going to try to give you a true 1v1. Good defense doesn't make their guys defend on islands. Just like cornerbacks in the NFL, you can be real good, but if you're truly 1v1, there's no safety help, there's no linebacker help, it's just you, you're going to get beat sometimes. And you're going to be more you're going to be beat more often than when you have help. And when you have help, uh, let's say uh, you know, you've got a safety inside, you can shade yourself to take a certain thing away knowing that your teammates there to uh, take advantage of if the offensive player tries to take what you're you're giving them. We see that at the NBA level as well for, for basketball. And what this team has done better this year than we've seen in a long, long time is consistently counter when teams try to send extra help. It's taken different shapes and forms. It took different shapes and forms last season and the season before that and the season before that. Two years ago, I took on a project where I logged every single post up the team ran if they what type of help came if it came if they countered it and how they tried to counter it counter it and did the counter they used make sense 
when the Lakers gave AD or LeBron true 1v1s, or Montrezl Harrell for that matter, they were dominant. When they made them go 1v2 or 1v3, it wasn't pretty. When the Lakers were trying to counter help, they often didn't counter it in ways that made any sense because they didn't. They, they were running plays for the wrong defense. And this is something that we got in touch with the Lakers about, shared that, and we didn't see much improvement. And that was disappointing because this is, you know, tangible stuff that helps make your guys look better and makes you more effective and is easy to install, but can be easily overlooked, which is why this year I'm, I'm very appreciative of the fact that we have seen the team face help defense and they've beaten the hell out of it on a number of occasions. Where you'll see me voice some frustration is as that is happening, there will be games where the first time the Lakers see something, they're less prepared to attack it. And that's understandable. It's a new coach. It's a new team, a new roster. When you see like zone defense in game, what was it, two or three of the season, it's fine that like you don't have zone plays installed. They've quickly, you know, that game wasn't great against the zone. Moving forward, they did a great job against zone and they've installed a lot more and, uh, you know, they're just more effective. The same sort of thing has happened with their post offense. We saw a lot of teams early on put two defenders, at, so one defender on ball, two defenders at the blocks, two defenders at the elbows in kind of like a box. And that's looking to deter the post player from driving and actually getting to the rim. It's it's not a hard double. It's not a trap. You're not trying to even keep the ball away from them pre-catch, but after they catch, you're doing what you can to take away a baseline drive with the guy at the block and take away a drive towards the middle with the guy at the elbow. The way you beat that, or one of the key ways you beat that is to flash players to the middle of that. Because if they're around the outside of the paint, the inside of the paint's open. And so the Lakers have done a really good job with this. And team after team tried to use it, and the Lakers beat it up, and that created dozens of extra attempts for AD and LeBron to actually go 1v1 because that defense just a couple minutes prior tried to send help and gave up a layup because of it. So they no longer are sending defense. They'd rather make AD or LeBron score over them. And that's great offense for the Lakers. If you can generate true 1v1s, you're going to do a great job. That coverage gave the Lakers fits for seasons, not days, not weeks, seasons. And so them quickly able to dissect that and say, you know, bring on the next challenge has been really encouraging to me. Now, the next challenge has taken different forms. Other types of help defense have included, uh, so like against the Clippers, we saw them front the post and have lob help over the top. So you, it's, it's more difficult to get the ball into them, into the post player. And the Lakers countered it throughout the game in different ways that they were effective with, but they still struggled big picture. I expect the next time they see that, they're going to kick its butt, hopefully. Um, they haven't seen that again, but if and when they do, I think they're going to kick its butt. The Nets, who AD just dominated, they played it pretty straight up. They didn't really send help, and they just let AD kick their ass. <laughs> I'm excited to see Joel Embiid, who just dropped 59 points, play them next uh, Monday, next Tuesday, because he's going to drop like 75 if they try to play him straight up. And, and the Sixers are like, okay, you know, we'll just keep playing through our the guy for our team. Um just I, I wouldn't look at that game and say the Lakers have figured anything out. No, the, the defense didn't do a good job scouting or executing a game plan. And they've got they certainly have other things going on in Brooklyn, but don't take their misstep as a sign of progress for the Lakers. Uh, sorry, I'm getting too granular here. But so that was one type of defense the Lakers have seen. Another another type they've seen against the post is rather than kind of outlining the paint, 
the defense has sent guys more towards the middle of the paint. And then they, you know, if a cutter goes in, great, I'm going to go stick my arm next to you and you've now refreshed my three seconds in the key. Or if no cutters come through, I'm going to step out and then step right back in. That defense takes away those cuts. Those cuts don't work, but the Lakers still tried to run those cuts the first time they saw it. And that wasn't good. It didn't work well, but it was the first time they saw it. I anticipate the next time they see it, they're going to do a better job. And so these are examples of like, you might see me tweet, you know, ah, I'm, I'm annoyed they didn't handle this well. Okay, it was the first game. The next time, if they handle it better, they've, they've probably beaten the prior staff by like 40, 50 games to the punch. Um, so everything's relative. Not every time Darvin Ham and his staff don't do something perfectly, it means, you know what, Frank Vogel is better. Uh, it's good to understand what the baseline was last year for these sorts of things. So we've seen a clear step up. They don't have every answer immediately, but they've done a pretty good job game planning in between games to adjust. In game, we've seen some adjusting. It hasn't been what I would love to see, but I think my standards are very, very high. And <laughs> it's much easier to judge these things from afar and be like, oh, I know exactly what's happening. It's harder when you're on that bench in the moment trying to manage a bunch of other things. And I would anticipate it's going to it's gonna be challenging for the Lakers. It, it, it's with like a new head coach. It's kind of like being a, a player and the game hasn't slowed down for you yet. You're going to miss some of those little things. And there might be games where there were games in the playoffs a couple of years ago where like I watching from my couch was missing things because I was so caught up in the emotion of the game. As a coach, you're right there. You have a worse angle to see everything, uh, not from like a bird's eye view. And so it's even more challenging and you have even more on the line. So where I see the Lakers potentially being able to improve this is either enabling or bringing in other voices who are good at recognizing that stuff. Uh, or what you should, what I would imagine they could probably do is, you know, stick someone in a box and, you know, like you see a football coordinator and have them watching the game from that angle and logging what's going on and then communicating that during TV timeouts down to someone sitting behind the bench. And you can say, okay, this is what they're doing. Here's how we could beat it. Um, among what we already have in the playbook. You can, I, I, that's maybe a route they could take. I've been on teams that have done that before and it worked really well. But I'm getting two, two in the weeds. So help beaters, clear upgrade. Not perfect, but, but a clear upgrade. Play calling. This is another important one. The best teams call plays for a reason. They want to get their best players involved. They want to create the best shots possible. And... You're not always just like, let's call the LeBron play. Sometimes you have to take what the defense gives you. And when the defense is, anytime there's a screen on or off ball, the defense has to make a decision as to how they want to guard it. Are we in drop coverage? Are we trapping? Are we soft hedging? Are we hard hedging? Are we switching? Against every one of those, there are ways to beat it. And if you call plays to beat switching and you're playing drop, you're not going to score as well as if you play the as if you call the plays that be drop against drop. Last year, that was an issue for the Lakers. This year, they've done a better job. I don't think they're one of the best teams at it, but I think they've done a much better job with it, and I think they've adjusted well in-game to call the right plays. They've also done a pretty good job calling plays for the right players, I'd say, at least in the first half of games. Um, AD and his falling apart, disappearing in games in the second halves has, has, a, has, a, has had a lot to do with which plays the Lakers are calling. And it's also had a lot to do with the help beater situation. Teams have tried one thing first half, Lakers are prepared against it. And then second half, they've tried a new way to defend AD. Lakers haven't seen it before and they're not ready yet. Next game, they're ready. Um, 
so that's part of why he's you know disappeared a bit. And I, I had a video out about this somewhat recently. He's been open a number of times in some of these games, and the playmakers aren't finding him, or he's doubled and the Lakers don't counter it, so the doubles don't have to go away. Things like that, pre-catch, post-catch. He can't do it on his own. The best guys, the, the Embiid's, the Jokic's, they, as post players, they've got good cutting and, well, Jokic at least, has great cutting and movement around him. And it makes it easier for him to play 1v1 and then he's able to dominate. AD, his environment dictates a lot of his shot profile. Aggressive AD versus passive AD has a lot to do with what's going on around him. And that's important to realize. That's basketball. Um, this isn't a 1v1 game. This is a 5v5 game. And it, it's, it takes a team effort. It takes a team coaching effort as well. So that has to improve. And the other element of it is the, the play calling. I took a look since I've been logging all these plays. I know, okay, when the Lakers run their double drag play, it goes to, the, you know, this is the shot profile the team gets out of it. You know, they get to the rim this much. They get, uh, you know, pull up threes versus catch and shoot threes versus pull up twos versus catch and shoot twos versus, you know, whatever. I also have a sense for which players are getting the ball. Um, is it this play always ends up you know, resulting with the center getting the, the shot or the point guard or the shooting guard or whatever. That's important to know because if you want to get AD more involved, there are plays that result more likely in him getting the ball and scoring. And we see that. And it's, you know, it's sensical. I'm just connecting. I'm not, you know, there's no, no crazy math going on here. I'm just counting how often it's happening. And from an X's and O's standpoint, it's all very logical. There are certain actions and alignments and setups that should get the center more involved. And, you know, that's, I'm just counting it. So that's something that we've seen in the first half versus the second half. For a number of games, the Lakers have called plays that get AD more involved early. And then later in the game, they're calling plays that, you know, more often go to their guards or their wings, not as much their bigs. So that's an area for opportunity, but it's very fixable. I, I think that's very fixable. As long as they're self-scouting and they're aware, I see that as something that they could, they, they could be tracking the same stuff I'm tracking with even better data, more, you know, expected efficiency versus more of the actual efficiency stuff I'm using with some very light luck adjusting. Um, so... Keep an eye out for that improvement. But play calling overall, I think, has been a, a step up with this team. Uh, in terms of how the team's using players, I have also really appreciated what we've seen from the team this year. They're doing a pretty good job putting the ball handlers on ball, the shooters off ball, the screeners screening, the rollers rolling, the post players posting up. I'm not seeing a ton of like, why the hell is that guy doing that? Uh, except for, you know... <laughs> Troy Brown, you know, Leroy Jenkins time doing doing whatever he has to do. Uh, and he's actually been pretty successful with it so far. But, I, you know, I would love to see Reeves on ball a bit more. I think his the challenge with him is he's one of the better off-ball like shooters on this team. So I think they're leaning on him a bit more for that than another team setup potentially could. But I was excited to see more point Reeves last night. And uh, I hope to see more of that in the future. So I think they're going to... As they shape this roster up, maybe they make a trade or something, they'll be able to optimize even better. But uh, outside of Reeves, who I think has more to give, I think they've used a lot of guys well. I think JTA, they could use him as a playmaker more. They haven't done that. And he hasn't played well big picture. Part of it's because they haven't used him as a playmaker. Uh, he also hasn't been super efficient when he's been a playmaker. He's, uh, from a passing efficiency standpoint, he's been throwing the ball away. So part of it's him. Part of it's they could put him in better sets to leverage that. But LeBron, they've used well. Russ, I think they've used well. AD, they've used pretty well. Um, a lot of these players, Walker, they've used beautifully. Trey Brown Jr., they've used really well. Uh, like, 
I think you can argue we don't want to see Bev play anymore. You can say we don't want to see Kendrick Nunn play anymore. We'll get to that in rotations. But in terms of how they're setting guys up, I think they're getting the right players, the right shots, and the right spots. And that's, that's you know, a signal of the offense. It, when this team is just freelancing, especially earlier in the season, you're seeing shots go to guys you didn't really want taking certain shots. When they're running their stuff, they do a really good job of dictating to the defense who's going to get what shot and where. So overall, offensively, we've seen a step up. Darvin Ham's been better. Uh, I've certainly had my you know critiques here and there. The playbook was too big. Uh, they've tightened it up a little bit. They're still installing stuff. Uh, I, I think they've got a problem. I think they need to stop. Uh, I, you know, I like to see plays, but I, I think they could probably focus and just kind of rein it in a little bit more. Um, I'm tracking how many new plays they install every single game, and it was really high in the beginning, and then it dipped for a bit. Now it's creeping back up a little bit. It's not super high, but it's creeping back up. So something to keep an eye out for, but offense decisively, Darvin Ham and his staff. Now defense, this is one where I think my perspective uh, is, is more in Vogel's camp. We're going to take a look at coverages, usage of players, rotation principles. I think those are the, the major, major things. Um, when it comes to coverages, we saw Vogel with the title team run everything. In the playoffs, he ran what he needed to run. He ha- used his personnel really well. He wasn't asking guys to do things that didn't make a whole lot of sense for them. I don't know how much Jason Kidd was part of this because after he left, I'd say this got worse for this team. Uh, but that staff that year did a really good job. Last year, they didn't, I mean, it was a roster that was built more for switching. And Frank Vogel's a guy that I, I wrote about this when the Lakers hired him. This is a guy that hate switching and wants to do everything but switch <laughs> switching is a last resort and we saw him eventually kind of lean into it a little bit and built around that with you know package not packages that's the wrong way to phrase this but when you switch you're eventually going to give up mismatches and the lakers did a good job last year of okay when we do that we are going to double and scram out of it or we're going to you know front the post or do different things to try to make up for the fact that you might be giving up mismatches we haven't really seen that this year. The Lakers this year, when they're switching, they just kind of switch and, and then deal with it. That's not ideal. Frank Vogel, we know, was a drop coverage heavy guy. That's what we've seen from Darvin Ham. He has not been who I was expecting him to be based on what we saw from Milwaukee last, the last season and a half, two seasons. What we've seen from Ham has more been like Quinn Snyder or more been like the early Budenholzer teams or I guess the Budenholzer teams before two seasons ago. Just a lot of drop. And it's not the best for AD. It's not the best for Damian Jones. We've seen Jones just not look as good and not play as much. Um, He did play in, I forget which game it was recently. They're all blending together a bit. But there was a game they started hedging. And, oh, all of a sudden he looks great. Oh, it's crazy how that happens. Um, But for the most part, this has been a very drop-heavy team. And I don't see the ceiling with this team as long as they don't add more. Now they've got more a, a drop from being at the level of the screen, but you're, again, you're retreating backwards. You're not looking to contain laterally. Then they also have the deeper drop where you start deep and you're conceding that immediate pull-up, but you have less ground to cover defending the rim. So they have variants of drop. Vogel's drop was... It, w- it was probably in between in terms of the starting point, but it was a no-man-behind drop. You don't let the, the roller or the ball handler get behind you. And 
I guess this is similar to that, but the, just the, the level of the uh, screener defender, the level of the dropping big, I should say, varying is, is like kind of one, you know, they've got two pitches there instead of just one. But, we, you know, we've seen some switching. We've seen a, seen a tiny bit of hedging. Uh, I think more often than not, if it looks like they're hedging, they're, they're just in drop, but they're at the level of the screen. We're not seeing them contain laterally. And I'm still trying to think through, like, can this work if you're trying to make a title run? And you might be saying, this isn't a title team. It doesn't matter. Okay, but I, I want to, I still want to see, like, the process pieces align. Maybe the roster isn't quite there to actually make a real run. Uh, at least not today. But if, if you know, there's just a, like, dead-on arrival defensive approach that has a low ceiling, that's something I'd, I'd want to notice. I want to pay attention to. So I I still think there's some low-hanging fruit potentially. But, uh, yeah, from a coverage standpoint, fine. I don't know. I, I think Vogel did better his earlier years. And then more recently, I still think he did better. He's done drop better. Or I'm sorry. He's done switching better. Drop, I think, has been fairly similar. I don't know. Like, in terms of usage of players, then we get to, like, Carmelo Anthony and drop, not a good idea. Uh, it's not like it happened all the time or every game, or it was even his most frequently used uh, coverage type. But we saw it some, and that's seared into people's brains, so, so they think that's horrendous. But I don't know. This one's somewhat of a wash, just because with Vogel, it, it really ebbed and flowed, I think, based on who else was on his staff. Usage of players, coverages, uh, I'm not sure. When it comes to rotation principles, though, this is one that... I'm actually really shocked. I haven't seen anyone talk about this. I don't understand why. Uh, I guess just because it's, you know, off-ball defense and people don't pay attention to or are familiar with off-ball defense, how it should work, all those different things. Rotation principles are bad for this team right now. It's inconsistent. If I, last year, was it last year? Yeah, it was last year. Last year for the first like 15 games or so, 20 games, I was tracking defense and I said, okay, this guy, you know, tagged when he was supposed to tag on this play on this play he missed a uh sync rotation or fill rotation or whatever and i was able to come up with you know grading for each of the players based on uh you know what they were doing how they were performing what they were executing relative to what they were supposed to and it was easy to know what they were supposed to do because they had very clear principles you help from here when this guy helps from here that guy helps from there and then when that guy helps from there the third defender helps from here we knew what they were supposed to do i have no clue what they're supposed to do this year they don't seem to have any clue what they're supposed to do this year. Opponents don't seem to know what they're they're supposed to be doing this year, which at times is the advantage Lakers because there's some chaos element to it, but it's not good. It's not sustainable. I see a lot of confusion. I see a lot of late rotations. I see guys helping off of spots that, you know, 90, 95% of teams say we will never, you know, when we're talking about our rotation principles, we will never help off the strong side corner off a shooter. Well, this team does. Uh, the the like stunting, regardless of if it's a shooter or not, stunting uh, towards a drive at the nail and then trying to recover has gotten this team burned a bunch of times. Um, there doesn't seem to be, I don't know, it it's bizarre. I, I think they're trying to lean into help types that don't require more than one defender. It's, I'm going to help you and then I'm going to get back to my guy. And there's going to be nobody helping me when I help you. They're trying to limit off-ball rot- rotating maybe. It, it, but then there are also times where there is off-ball rotating. It just kind of s- seems to depend on the possession. Um, 
So it's really bizarre. It's resulted in a lot more breakdowns than we saw last year that were just like, they don't know what they're doing breakdowns, uh, less ability or effort, just like, what the hell? Like these guys aren't on the same page. That's a problem. I want to see that improve. I'll post more clips about it so you guys can, can see what I'm talking about. But Edge Vogel there, coverages and usage of players, kind of a wash. I haven't, lo- like the drop doesn't work for this roster for some players. It works for others. The lack of off-ball rotating hides the impact of a Troy Brown or a JTA. Uh, it makes it, you know, it also hides the the weakness of uh, Lonnie Walker or a Russell Westbrook. You know, there is some rotating. It's very, it's different. It's a different kind of rotating and it limits what the defense can do big picture. But it, for individual players, it's, I think, elevated some by hiding weaknesses and it's also dropped some down from hiding strengths. So that's the challenge I see defensively I think big picture defense I'm going to go edge Vogel offense I'm going to go edge ham when it comes to rotations and lineups nobody's ever perfect you're not going to talk to a fan base that's like oh yeah we love our coach and uh, we, lo- we love the way that our coach manages lineups and rotations and there, there's all everybody always has a gripe with how they handle a certain player or a certain grouping they don't like or they're not staggering guys enough or wh- whatever it happens to be but I've seen a very clear difference this year compared to last year and in the past. Under the Frank Vogel-Laker teams, we saw him have his guys and really stick with them too long. Avery Bradley, DeAndre Jordan starting last year. That's a good example. Uh, Avery Bradley, the title year, him like kind of burying Alex Caruso a bit. That was weird. Um, there were certain, like Caruso having Rondo play over him. Like there were guys that we now miss that... On that team, like if Avery Bradley shows up in the bubble instead of staying home, that team's worse because Caruso's a bit more buried on the roster. Frank Vogel didn't unleash Caruso. He had to have his hand played for him by Avery Bradley not showing up. So just there were incidents like that that seemed consistent throughout his years that were just weird. And we also saw a lot of occasions, including last year, where he said something along the lines of, we need to see this lineup play. We need to see these starters play together for X amount of minutes or games or whatever weeks before we know whether it's working or not. That's a really crappy approach. That's, that's a, we don't have good data and I also don't trust what I'm looking at. Um, <laughs> that's in, I don't know data and I don't know ball. <laughs> I'm kind of, and you know, that's, that's a little bit too harsh for Frank Vogel knows ball, but you want to be able to adjust quicker. You're, you're throwing points and wins away when you're taking way, way too long to make decisions. And this year, we've seen Ham adjust very quickly. Game one, the rotation, who was in, who was out, how many minutes they played, it's a good bit different from what it is now. JTA wasn't playing well, he's out of the rotation. Damian Jones wasn't a fit for what they wanted defensively, thus not playing well, out of the rotation. Russell Westbrook, coming off the bench early in his tenure versus like never under Vogel. Uh, the, not just him coming off the bench, but them staggering Russ and Braun's minutes about as much as possible is another like really nice, like it shows they understand why him off the bench matters. It's not just say, let's do something different. It's, I understand why there's a challenge with him starting and I understand why him coming off the bench would work. And we're going to, you know, set it up to make the most of that situation with him coming off the bench. We saw Max Christie get a shot at minutes. That's not something I think we would have seen before. Uh, we saw it took forever for Austin Reeves to get to the minutes that, that we wanted to see last year. We saw, this was another good example, 
Matt Ryan in that game where he hit those clutch threes pretty much won the game for the Lakers. He was put in for key moments where they needed a three-point shooter, movement three-point shooter, an off-screen three-point shooter, and he delivered. And I don't know that Frank Vogel would have put him in the game off the bench having not played. Uh, and you would have heard plenty of people defend him. I saw plenty of people defending him last year, not bringing the shooters in the, into the game for certain key moments you need a shooter. Instead, he would just call play for a worse three-point shooter who had happened to been, have been playing already. We saw Darvin Ham go to the shooter for the shots, for the threes. And then once that game went to overtime, after Matt Ryan hit that clutch three, he took him right back out, stuck him on the bench, went with the better overall lineup because they needed to play well. They didn't need to just hit threes like they did in that moment. I don't know that Frank Vogel would have put him in the game in the first place. And if he had, I think he would have stuck for him, stuck with him in overtime. So there have been a lot of little examples with Ham adjusting quickly. I think at this point, people want to see Beverly's minutes reduced a bit. And I would get behind that. I think they want to see none out of the rotation. I can get behind that. Uh, I've been a holdout on none because he played really well the last time he played in the regular season. And uh, if you're like, oh, well, this is why Miami let him go. Well, no, <laughs> he can't hit anything right now. This is not the same guy that we saw pre-injury with him. So if you're like, oh, I knew this all along, you're, you're full of crap. Uh, he's certainly not playing well, though, and you need to adjust to that. So, I, I, you know, here and there, I'm okay with him getting opportunities, but nothing's falling offensively. The defense isn't a plus for him, and... The fact that like some of his strengths defensively are hidden a bit with the scheme uh, doesn't help. And his passing hasn't been particularly good. I'm okay to move away, especially with what we've seen from Max Christie. So I expect that or those to be uh, upcoming moves from Ham, but they've addressed it quickly. They haven't been like, we need a big sample size to make a decision. It's been quick. And and so I think rotations, you have to go edge Ham. No, nobody's perfect, but it's certainly a step up. From a leadership standpoint, this is tough. It's it's so hard to evaluate this from afar. So much of leadership is behind the scenes, getting these guys motivated, getting them aligned, getting them bought in. It's so hard to know when that's happening or isn't happening uh, unless it's like, oh, they've lost the locker room, which you don't hear all that often. Uh, and it, when you do hear it, it's really hard to tell um, on, on the film. Sometimes it's easy to see, other times it's, it's harder to see. It's really early in this year. The team's, what, 3-10? and 10. It, This is a situation where you could see them not buying into the stuff Ham's doing. But they're adjusting quickly. They care. It seems like there's good leadership going on. From what I'm hearing behind the scenes, it seems like this team's bought into Ham and what he's preaching a bit more than they were with Vogel last year. Um, even with these losses early. There's, there's a belief in the process. And that's encouraging. But this is one that I... I I'm going to throw my hands up in the air. I'm not really sure. It's We're too far away from the situation. This isn't something that shows up on film the same way that you know offensive sets or defensive rotation principles do. So big picture, uh, edge ham for offense and rotations, edge Vogel for defense, leadership, I don't know. Uh, game planning, I think, this is another one that it's, it's hard to know unless you're really digging in. And when I was digging in last year, there were a lot of game planning things I didn't like. There were a lot of, oh, you should know this team's going to switch upon. <laughs> or you should know this team's going to run drop all game. And the Lakers weren't prepared against it. Uh, or you should know this team can't beat switching or can't beat drop. I didn't like that last year. This year, I think it's been a bit better. But it'll take more and more 
now that I'm in the first couple games of the season, I wasn't scouting opponents for our playback streams. Now that I am, I'm better aligning myself to what I think should be happening on both ends of the court. And that better enables me to make these, these kinds of analysis. So TBD, I'll have to get back to you from an adjustment standpoint. A lot of adjustments happen that are smaller tweaks and, you know, maybe the shot didn't end up going in and it makes it look like the guy never adjusts or, you know, whenever the team had a lead and then they lose it, it's, ah, they can't adjust. I, I think there might be something to this team in the third quarter of games, not reacting to how other teams are making adjustments. And I think that's been a weakness so far. Third quarters were also an issue with Vogel. And so this is another area I, I want to see more. I'm going to learn more as more games go on and I'm paying close attention with the scouting and calling the games and all that stuff going through the film afterwards. But I will tentatively say I've seen at least incremental improvement in both of those areas versus the past. So overall, I'd say Vogel defensively is that's the only piece we're missing. And even last year, it wasn't, it wasn't a good fit with the roster and there were limitations. They're very hard there's a hard ceiling with hard limitations that we saw from Vogel the years after Jason Kidd left that I, th- I think might be related to each other. That title team, they were locked in and they did a bunch of cool stuff defensively. I covered it very, very intimately. I was tracking how often they were running different coverages. Like, you can go check those, those podcasts out. You can go check those articles out. We haven't seen that level of expertise in those areas, or we hadn't seen that level of expertise in those areas in the years after the title from Vogel. And so far from him, I haven't been super impressed with the defense. Uh, there are elements I like. There's stuff I understand. They're hiding certain things. There's a hard ceiling on this from from at least what they're running so far. They're not using all their players the best ways, and the rotation principles are a mess. So I think there's plenty to improve upon. It's all fixable. It's all workable. Uh, this isn't a coach who's been a head coach for eight years, and we're like, okay, well, this is what he is. Hopefully... Ham and his staff continue to self-reflect and improve. Um, I have more faith in them making adjustments and changes and seeing holes in what they're doing and improving than I did with the previous staff, just because so far they've they've showcased that. And that's that's encouraging to me. So I'm a big like I'm happy with the staff. It's been a step up. They're not perfect. You're still gonna see me complain about things. Um, you're going to see me critique. I'm not going to stop critiquing because I like them. I don't stop critiquing players because I like them. I don't only critique players I don't like. Uh, but, uh, you know, so that's still going to keep happening. But if I were to say this is how happy I am, I, I'm, I'm pleased. I still think there's room for improvement, but I'm pleased. So that's all I've got for this one. I thought this would be an interesting topic this deep into this, you know, not super deep, but deep enough that we have a good sense of what they're trying to do and how it's going. And uh, we'll keep updating throughout the year. So that's what I got for for today. Let's keep the conversation going. I'd love to talk about this a bit more in the Discord. If you're not in there, get in there. Uh, I want to shout out some of the folks who are in there. TJ Timotaji for uh, generously supporting the pod as an arena sponsor, as well to Zach Harris, QDadio, iPod Shuffle, Romario, Chamber, Miguel, T. Shuttleworth, Omar, Roy, Abdul Rahman, Keneal Mason, all of them for living the high life with us in the owner's box as well as to our courtside and lower bowl crews who support what we do here. It really keeps us going. We have a, what do we have coming up? Let me go pull up the schedule. I've got to get another X's and O session on the schedule. We have a Thursday, uh, what is that? 5 p.m. Pacific live mailbag pod. And that'll become a bonus pod afterwards if you're not able to make it live. But that is for any of these tiers I just talked about. You get access to all of those bonus pods 
extra content. Uh, the X's and O's stuff is a lot of fun. You're going to see what I'm talking about with rotation principles and defensive coverages and how to beat drop and all of those different things, building a playbook. We've had our past two sessions have been on building playbooks. Maybe we'll get into play calling a little bit here moving forward. Um, lots of cool areas we can, we can dive into with that. So you're going to have an opportunity, especially if like Twitter disappears here or, or breaks or something in the near future. I know I will continue having the highest quality Lakers discussions I'm already having because those are happening in the Discord. If you want to go see some true posters, having conversations 24-7 from every you know U.S. time zone and then internationally as well, it is the best place for Lakers conversation. I'm part of other groups in other places and seeing what that's like, I think we, I think we got the best crew. Um, it's quite a community. It's great to see people connect and uh, really enjoying themselves and, and, you know, having that belonging and, and being able to be their true selves over there. So it's, it's truly a fun place for good discussion, not just like trying to dunk on each other or, uh, you know, just hating on things. So check that out. Uh, DM me, Tom, or Tom slash Johnny, who run the uh, Lakers Exceptionalism podcast Twitter account five-star review of the podcast, or check out the link in my bio. It's a tinyurl.com slash support Lakers X pod. And you can get into the discord. You can check out the different tiers. You don't have to, none of, none of it's, you don't have to pay for uh, just to get in. A lot of the stuff in there is, it's just free. The bonus pause, the, the X's and O stuff, uh, some of the secret channels, film room, my log of, of the Lakers offense, all that stuff. So, you know, a couple bucks a month, but it's, all I'd say very well priced and I think you'll get a lot of value out of it if you do decide to go that route but even if not it's a fun place for good conversation so we will see you in there join the playback streams if you haven't already uh let me make sure I get the yeah here it is so playback.tv slash Lakers watch party is where you can go to enjoy watching Lakers games with Tom and I or Taylor and I or whoever happens to be in there with me Bix has been in there for some of them we've had a bunch of guests um, everybody from Lakers Twitter, pretty much, it seems like, uh, Damon Regula, uh, Mr. Ricky Spanish, Jovan Buha, all this past week, I need to book some guests for this upcoming week, but, uh, we've had over five, what was it, 510 people have been part of that community watching games. You don't have to make it to every game, but make it to the games you can. And we're synced up, chatting at the same time, enjoying the game at the same time, criticizing things at the, at the same time. Uh, playback has, they're just adding it and I'm so excited about this. They're adding in the feature where I can share my screen with you, which means I can pull up a whiteboard and draw up some plays for you, which it will be a fun thing to do during TV timeouts or during commercials, uh, during half court, uh, not half court, half time, pregame, postgame. I say, here's the, the play the Lakers just ran to win the game. Let's draw it up. Let's take a look at it. Let's rewind and rewatch. So that additional functionality is a going to be so much fun it's i've been the one person i've ever there might be more but i've been you know asking for that constantly for months and months so i'm excited that that'll be opened up because i think that'll unlocks a lot of analysis in very much our wheelhouse which is x's and o's so i'm excited about that check out playback.tv slash lakers watch party it's free all you have to do is authenticate your tv account and uh let me see what do we have in here so leak pass hulu plus youtube tv Sling, Fubo, Peacock, uh, let's see, Xfinity, DirecTV, Spectrum, Fios, Cox, Optimum, uh, AT&T, Uverse, ESPN Plus. I don't think that'll help you for this one. Um, let's see, NFL Sunday Ticket won't help you for us. WNBA League Pass, we haven't done WNBA games. MLB TV won't help you here. But if you have like any of those, you're good to go. 
There have been games where like I would have been blacked out on my league pass, but I'm not on playback on playback. Uh, so it's a really nice experience in a lot of different ways. So check that out. All you have to do is like if you're watching the games already in any way other than just like illegally streaming them, you will be able to for free watch these games with us. Just grab your login. So that's all I've got for everyone today. Thank you for joining me. See you next time. Let's go Lakers. Let's string a couple wins together here. Schedule gets lighter. The shooting's been much better. Uh, And uh, I'm I'm excited. The season's not over yet. Maybe we'll make some trades soon. We'll we'll see what that looks like. Dennis Schroeder, Thomas Bryant coming back soon. Another topic for another time. I'm sure I'll talk about that in the upcoming bonus pod. But that's all I've got for you today. Enjoy the rest of your day. Let's go Lakers. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.